Bethel Merry Christmas Church. Would you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or close to you. Today we're going to consider Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to verse 50. The voice that you heard in the video is the um, words of the song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sung to the Lord after she heard that she was chosen by God to carry and bear and give birth to the one who would be the Son of Man, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Now this question I'm going to ask you might sound like it's the beginning of a a pitch to join a get-rich-quick scheme, but uh, I do ask it sincerely. Do you have what it takes to be rich? Do you have what it takes to make it rich? People look for riches in a lot of different ways. Uh, For some, it's financial. I need more things. I want more things so that I can store in the other things that I already have so that everyone can see all the things that I own. For other people, it's the intangibles. It's the reputation. It's uh, It's the memories that I make with experiences with loved ones. In our 21st century Western economy, um, wealth and riches and our ability to get it is primarily based on merit. You get out of this world primarily what you put into this world. Your ability to get rich is based on your ability to work for it. In the kingdom of God, there are riches that the Lord offers to those who are citizens in his kingdom. And there's an economy in which we gain these riches. But in the economy of God's kingdom, the riches he offers are not gained by merit. They are offered in mercy. Luke chapter 1 verse 46 to 50 is part of this beautiful song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings. That is sung from a lowly and humble heart, which celebrate the mercy of God. And with Mary today, the scripture is going to teach us that God is rich in mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. God is rich in mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. And I wonder, do you have that attitude before the one living creator of the universe, the one true living God. The riches that we all long for, the value in life that we want, that truly satisfy the soul, can't be gained by merit and effort there received from the hand of God in his mercy. Mary's song beautifully displays two rich outcomes of God's mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. So as we do to honor God in the reading of his word, would you stand with me now as we read this together? Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 50. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Allow me to pray, and would you turn your heart with me to the Lord now? Our Father in heaven, you are the God who created heaven and earth. We are creatures whom you have made in your own image. Thank you, Lord God, that through Jesus Christ and by faith in him, we can be rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your marvelous son, the kingdom of light. Thank you that we can be rescued out of the poverty of our sin and into the wealth of forgiveness and love and eternal life in the gospel of Jesus. Oh Lord, I, I see the world around it, us and I feel the pull to it to want to have the things of the world and have the experiences that the world calls wealthy and rich. But Lord God, I thank you for the incomparable treasure of being in the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus by your mercy. Help us all, Lord, to count the things of the world as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Help us in this way, in Jesus' name, amen. God is rich in mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. Today we're going to consider God's mercy and the two outcomes of God's mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. The first outcome that we see through Mary's song that she sung is that his rich mercy inspires passionate worship. Look at the way again that Mary worshiped God. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's worship was the kind of worship that joyfully glorified God. That's what she means when she said that she magnified the Lord and rejoiced in him. Like a magnifying glass, to look through something that is magnified is to be able to see it in larger view than it was before. And in saying that she was magnifying the Lord, Mary was saying that she was making him greater, making him bigger. Not that she made him actually bigger, but in view, she saw him as bigger and greater and wanted others to see him like that as well. She glorified him. She magnified and rejoiced in him. Rejoicing worship is the type of worship that allows the joy of the Lord that's in my heart to reverberate out of my heart into my words and my actions. Mary joyfully glorified God in a way that was passionate. See, these words, soul and spirit, together refer to the whole of my being. In a general way, when the scripture talks about soul, it talks about the fact that I am a living entity. I am a physical, breathing being. When the scripture talks about spirit, it most frequently is referring to the inner, hidden self. And the, the emotions of my heart. The point is that the way that Mary worshipped by joyfully glorifying God was engaging her entire being. She passionately worshipped all of who God was based on all that God revealed himself to be. She joyfully glorified him in passionate worship because she knew that he was the Lord and he was Savior. 
She knew that this baby she was bearing was no obscure child. She knew that this child would be the central figure in God's plan to redeem and save the world that he created that was wrought in suffering because of sin. And when she thought on who God was, it just spilled out in in passionate worship. But I think it was spilled out so passionately because this wasn't just theoretical. This wasn't just about some God out there disconnected from her experiences in life. It wasn't theoretical. It was personal. She was struck with wonder and awe that such a God, such a Savior who would save the world would choose her. Someone like her. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That looking, that gaze of God that glanced on this teenage girl who didn't think that she was worthy of anyone's attention, that's mercy. So there are two aspects theologically to the mercy of God. The first aspect of God's mercy is his uh, independent choice to withhold his judgment on guilty sinners. The second aspect of God's mercy is his independent choice to extend compassion to undeserving sinners. And that extension of compassion is what we see here. She didn't think she was worthy of being chosen for anything, let alone to carry and bear the Son of God. But God didn't overlook her. He looked at her. God has a pattern of overlooking people that others, or excuse me, of looking at people that others overlook. In Luke chapter 18, um, the author of the gospel is um, sharing Jesus' story of preaching from town to town. And the, the, there was an event that happened where Jesus was traveling from one town to another town across a main highway. And there was a man who was on that highway every day. Uh, he was blind and he was a beggar. And he was there because he knew it was a place where people frequently trafficked by. Um, but this day, the blind beggar just hears a lot more foot traffic and wonders what's going on. And he turns to the people close to him and asks, like, Who, what, what's happening? What's all this commotion about? And they told him, it's because Jesus of Nazareth is in town. And the blind beggar apparently knew that Jesus of Nazareth was a traveling preacher who had the power of God to heal. And as soon as he heard, he immediately cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now there were a lot of people passing by him, and they were merely overlooking him. But as soon as they heard him cry out, they paid attention to him, but only enough attention to tell him just like, pipe down and be quiet. But Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, heard the blind beggar crying out, others were overlooking him, but Jesus looked at him. Jesus asked him to be brought to him and asked him, what do you want? And he asked, could could you heal me? And Jesus did. And when the eyes of this man were opened and locked eyes with the one who looked back at him and didn't overlook him. This man who was blind but could now see could not help but to joyfully glorify God and and follow Jesus, worshiping him wherever he went. 
Do you know the signs that you can see in someone when they're lying to you? If someone's lying to you, there are a couple indicators that you can see it, unless you're like a professional poker player. Right? You can generally see like in their, their hands they might be fidgety. You can generally hear in their words that they might stumble and stutter and not be able to put together a full sentence or change their story. But you can see it in their eyes, can't you? They can't maintain eye contact with you. Because when you look at someone in the eyes, often you're not just looking at them. It feels like you're looking into them. Have you ever felt the same feeling that I felt? We're just like sitting at a red light and just like, who's peering into my soul right now? And you can't even see it, but you turn to the left and someone's staring right at you. Right? You, can feel, you can feel it. Locking eyes with someone is, can evoke certain type of responses. Right? Think of a nervous fangirl who won tickets to the red carpet to be able to see your favorite celebrity that she's only seen pictures of online. And for the first time, she sees her favorite celebrity in person, in front of her. And all of a sudden, in a way that's a little embarrassing, her emotions just spill out in a way that she can't control. Because she locked eyes with her favorite celebrity. Or think of a nervous youth who's doubtful about himself. When they lock eyes with a trusted mentor, it evokes a sense of confidence and assurance. Or think of a scared child who locks eyes with a loving parent. And that can evoke a sense of peace and calmness. When the eyes of that blind man locked eyes with his merciful Savior, it, he couldn't help but joyfully glorify God. He, he saw that the merciful God lifted him up out of his brokenness and into healing. And because his mercy lifted him up, he could not stop but lift up the name of the one who showed him mercy. That's what Mary felt. Look at the way she considered himself. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. Another English version translates this verse. He took notice of this lowly servant girl. You looked at me? You lifted me up? To consider yourself of lowly estate or humble estate is to admit that you're poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit is to admit that I'm, I'm spiritually impoverished. That I'm spiritually bankrupt. That before God, I'm actually spiritually indebted to him. And to be poor in spirit is to recognize that there's nothing that I have that can earn God's favor. There's nothing that I can have that can buy God's forgiveness. There's nothing that I can offer to gain entrance into his kingdom. That's the attitude Mary had. She didn't think that she was worthy to be someone to be looked upon. But when she realized that God did, her heart overflowed with passionate worship. Just like the blind beggar did. And friends, this is good news for us. Because as God showed mercy to Mary in choosing her to give birth to his own son, Jesus Christ, so God has shown mercy to the world 
through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what mercy does. It lifts us up out of the debt of our sin and into the riches of eternal and abundant life in Jesus Christ. And when you believe that Jesus paid the debt for your sin, you are redeemed from your sin, and in mercy you are lifted out of your sin and into the riches of the kingdom of God into the riches of forgiveness, into the riches of love, into the riches of the hope of eternal life, into the riches of abundant life now following Jesus. And when I have the riches of God, I still choose to be poor in spirit. Because I know that the riches of the kingdom of heaven are are infinitely greater than the most expensive luxuries in the world. And anything that I have in this world is as rubbish compared to the riches of the kingdom of God in mercy. And he looked to me when others overlooked me. He lifted me up, so I'm going to lift his name up. While this is the reason why the poor in spirit can passionately worship God, it's also a reason why it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The same reason that the poor in spirit are motivated to worship God is the same reason that the rich turn away from God. Even though there's an incomparable treasure offered to us in the kingdom of God by mercy, rich people struggle to accept it because they'd rather have riches gained by merit rather than be some, an object of someone else's mercy. They'd rather have their own boast in their own merit rather than have the treasure of someone else's mercy. I wonder if that's you. Maybe you've earned more than you could ever have dreamed of. In the intangibles or in the material. Maybe you're striving to earn what you are dreaming that you'll get. And if you work hard, you could, maybe you'll be able to get it. Christianity, though, teaches, and just natural life reveals, that there's going to be a day when all of that's gone. Death is the great common denominator. And you might think, it's like, yeah, well, I can leave it to my kids, but... Christianity teaches that there is a day appointed when the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead for all the deeds that they have done. And all of our deeds done apart from God's mercy, they're going to be stacked up on an altar. They're going to be put to fire and they're going to burn to ash. If you're building your own kingdom here on earth, and rejecting the mercy of God, then you have no share in the kingdom of heaven. If you're enjoying the treasures of the kingdom of this world and refusing the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, you're living like that foolish child who would rather play with the box than the expensive gift that came in the box. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If this is the way that you're living, if this is the way you're trying to live, friend, I would urge you to stop boasting in your own merit or stop working for your own merit and look to God for his mercy. We all, in our sin, are merely blind beggars before God. We are spiritually poor. We are spiritually in debt. But if you're trying to clothe yourself with your own riches, there's going to be a day where you stand before God empty and naked and homeless. But if you admit that, if you recognize that you're in debt because of your sin, because you turn from God, because you follow your own way, but then you believe that Jesus Christ paid the debt of your sin with the price of his own life, then you will, the debt of your sin will be paid and you will be welcomed into the kingdom of God and you will have the riches of the kingdom and love and forgiveness and abundant life. Look to the one who looks to you. He will lift you up and you will find a greater joy boasting in what he has done than any happiness that you thought you could find from boasting in what you are doing. God is rich in mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. And his mercy richly inspires passionate worship. And the beautiful thing about God's mercy is that he offers it impartially, without prejudice, because God is a God who judges equitably. The outcome of God's mercy is equal to anyone who would come, regardless of their background, regardless how early in their life or how late in their life they came to Jesus. So you might be hearing for the first time about the mercy of God. You may have come from a different type of background than Christianity, an agnostic background or an immigrant family who practiced a different religion, or you may feel like you're already a retiree or close to retiring and you're just too late to the party and it's, it wouldn't be worth it to leave anyway and... God is equitable. The mercy of God is equal in outcome for all who would come, regardless of their background, regardless when they would come. You don't get a smaller cut. His rich mercy is richly available in its same richness to any who would come whenever they would come. And it richly inspires passionate worship, and it is richly available Standing to more and more whenever they would come. So the first outcome of God's mercy is that it richly inspires passionate worship. The second outcome of his mercy is that it richly expands out to more and more and more. And it can to you today. You can find the blessing of having nothing so you can know the treasure of having everything in the kingdom of God. See, Mary understood that she had a unique blessing, but she also understood that her blessing was not exclusive. Look at verse 48 to 50. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great for th things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, Mary understood that the blessing of God that she received in carrying the Son of God in her womb was unique. She knew that all generations that followed would call her blessed by that.
But she knew that the blessing of God's mercy to carry this child wasn't earned by her merit. It was given by God's mercy. It wasn't that she was some exceptional spiritual person. She recognized that this was given to her because the Lord was the mighty one. God did this great thing from her. She did not earn any great thing for herself. Not only is he the mighty one, but he's also the holy one. See, Mary is considering here the Lord and his holiness, that he is morally perfect in all of his ways. He's He is pure and does what is pure. He is true and does what is true. He is just and always acts with justice towards others. And she saw his holiness expressed with justice in that while other people would overlook her, he didn't. He looked to her and he lifted her up to an equitable place. See, this is how our, who our God is. He is just. He is equitable. But we humans are not so much like that. Even in the church. Maybe sometimes especially in the church. In James chapter 2, verse 13, the author James tells the church, don't treat rich people better than poor people. See, apparently in the church, they were telling the rich, you sit over here in the prominent place, and the poor, you sit down over here at my feet or in the back. A family member of mine was even at one of our church events one time, and she was just playing it low-key, just went and just wanted to observe and watch, and the family member told me that I'm not sure why, but for some reason, someone in front publicly thought it'd be valuable to point out that this individual was a family member of the church pastor. And then when everyone found out that one of my family members was there and was related to the pastor, apparently the people of the event started treating her a little nicer and a little kinder. We, we do this, I'm tempted to do this, because we think that we'll be more important if we're around important people. But I'm so thankful that our God is not like that. God looks to the one that others overlook, regardless of their stats. Mary recognized that the blessing of God gave this lowly servant girl such a favor, not because of her marriage, but because of God's mercy There was power in his justice, yet she knew that the blessing that she has was unique, but it wasn't exclusive. See, some traditions put Mary on some, like, upper echelon of spirituality that us meager mortals could never meet. I was in Florida one time, and uh, I'd driving down a road, and I saw this huge, opulent church. And the name of this church was, like, so many words and so many syllables, but it was something like, Church of Mary, Mother of Jesus, Queen of Heaven. And I'm like, I never heard that term before, Queen of Heaven. See, some church traditions treat that if Jesus is king, Mary is queen. Some church traditions believe that if you're going to actually demonstrate that you're sorry for your sin, you need to recite prayers to Mary to prove your sorrow of your sin. Some churches believe that In order to get into heaven, you need Mary praying for you just as you're on your deathbed about to die. 
Her blessing was unique, but it wasn't exclusive. Even, even Jesus knew this. Jesus, in his traveling ministry, was going around, and people were really impressed by what he was teaching. And one woman who heard what he was teaching in Luke chapter 11 shouted out and said this. She said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And then Jesus responded and said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus is the word of God in flesh. Jesus fulfilled the word of God from scriptures. And while Mary was blessed with mercy because she carried the word of God in her womb, anyone can be blessed with God's mercy when they carry the word of God in their heart. The blessing of Mary was unique, but it was not exclusive. She said, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Anyone can find the blessing of the riches of the kingdom of God if they walk in the fear of the Lord. Anyone from any generation. It's not just people in 21st century North American Christianity. It's anyone, any place, any generation, those who fear him. See, the mercy of God is not just available for a few spiritual elite or privileged few. There's no VIP access into the kingdom of God. Neither your education nor your family name nor your wealth nor your connections get you any additional blessing. It doesn't matter what your background is or how long you've been a Christian. Jesus taught this parable in Matthew chapter 20 about a, a, a vineyard owner who needed workers to work his field. And in the morning at, the, at dawn, he found some men who needed a job, and he said, hey, come work for me. I'll give you a day's wage. And all right, they came into the field. And at noon, he went out again and found more workers and said, come work for me at noon, and I'll give you a full day's wage. And then it was about closing time, but he still found more people who were doing nothing and could come in and do work. And though, even though it was just about to time to clock out, he said, come in right before clock out, and I'll give you a full day's wage. And then when he paid out to all of his workers, the people who at the beginning of the day came to the vineyard owner and said, this, this isn't fair. Why do they get the same as us, even though we work longer for them? Because of the riches of God's kingdom are given by mercy, they are not granted by merit. Our God is an equitable God, and the outcome of his mercy and the riches of his kingdom are equal to all. So even if you feel like you're too late in life, or even if you feel like you wouldn't qualify because you came from a different religious background, it doesn't matter to our equitable God. His mercy, he is rich in mercy towards those who are poor in spirit. But so many can't come. So many don't come because they're not willing to recognize that he's the master who has the treasures. They want to earn their treasures for themselves. So many people don't come because they don't recognize their place before God. So many don't come because they don't choose to walk in the fear of God. Our nation used to understand what it means to walk in the fear of God. In the 19, up until 1960, it was legislated by our nation that shops should be closed on Sunday because they respected the God and his word and Sabbath regulations. Go to Ottawa in Parliament and you will literally see the scripture etched in stone on the walls of Parliament. Even the Charter of Rights and Freedoms 
the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms that grants all of the rights that Canadians have, the preamble of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms says, whereas Canada was founded on principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. How much acknowledgement of the supremacy of God do we see in our world today? How, how much of the riches of the kingdom do we see in our world today? How much of God's mercy do we see in our world today? The mercy of God richly expands to any who walk by the fear of God. To those who know their place before him. So I would ask, do you? Do you walk by the fear of God? What is the fear of God? Technically, the fear of God is an awareness of my own sinfulness in the light of God's own holiness. That, that evokes an initial sense of, of terror because I know that my sin in the light of God's holiness means that I deserve the punishment of death. But when I recognize that God mercifully punished his own son Jesus on the cross in my place, that I was the one who deserved the wrath that Christ suffered, that terror develops into a reverence. That's what it technically is, but what, what's it practically like? The fear of God practically is, is like surviving through a heart attack. If you survive through a heart attack, your doctor will probably tell you that you may have been genetically predisposed to this, but probably they'll also tell you that you put yourself in this hospital bed because of your poor eating habits, because of your lack of exercise habits. And then initially, there's, when you, the heart attack hits you, there's this terror that you could die. But then when you realize that you were the one who did this to yourself, that terror turns into this respect of, I can't go back to that old way I lived before. I can't eat the same way. I can't exercise or not exercise the same way. It's the same with the fear of God. When you recognize that you are the one who deserved the wrath of God, he's struck with terror that you deserve the punishment of God. And you use, I can't go back to the same way. I can't live the same way because I deserve God's punishment. But then when you recognize that Jesus died in your place, you have this respect and a reverence for God's holiness. And you walk in a manner where you know your place before him. So I'd ask you, friends, do you know your place before God? God is rich in mercy towards the poor in spirit. But if you don't know your place before God, and if you keep living in a way where you think you're the master and you're going to earn your own treasures by your own merit, you're going to forfeit the blessing of God's mercy. And you're going to settle for the rubbish of this world rather than the riches of God's kingdom. Do you know who he is whom you are placed before? Do you know who God is? Mary knew. Mary knew that God was the Lord, the I am, the living one who has been joyfully worshipped from generation to generation. And if human, human beings stop worshipping God, even Jesus said, the rocks will cry out. He is the living one who created heaven and earth. He is the Lord. He is Savior. He is the only one who could rescue us from the peril of our sin. 
He will crush the head of Satan. Every knee will bow when he returns and establishes his kingdom. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the mighty one. He sets up empires. He tears down empires. Before the mountains were made, he was there. Our lives are but a breath in the hurricane of the magnitude of the mighty one of God. He is the holy one, so spotless, so perfect, that it is lethal for a guilty sinner to come into his presence. Yet he is also the merciful one, the one who lifts us up out of our spiritual death. He doesn't prop up the proud. He doesn't surround himself with important people. He lifts up the lowly. So then who are we? Who are you before such a God like this? You might think, I don't know about you, but I'm some, I'm, I am someone. My name's respected in my industry. There's a reason I got the job I did. My kids and grandkids adore me. My online presence is growing every day. My personal brand is recognized internationally. My sales are through the roof and top of the bit. I'm someone. Maybe. But build your kingdom here and you'll never find the kingdom of heaven. Gather your riches here and they'll be rubbish before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At best, we are only lowly servants like Mary. At our worst, we're blind beggars who aren't even worthy to be looked at on God. But the good news is that God is rich in mercy towards the poor in spirit. Count your merit as loss and you will find the riches of God's mercy. We are spiritually impoverished. We are spiritually in debt. But Jesus paid that debt with the price of his own life. Receive his mercy in faith and it will inspire you to boast in him and not in yourself. Look to his mercy now because it is equitably available to any who would come. God is rich in mercy towards the poor in spirit. May God teach you this attitude this Christmas. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Lord, thank you that you looked to a blind beggar such as I, and you opened my eyes and you gave me your riches. Father, forgive me for boasting in my own accomplishments. Forgive me for looking for my happiness in the riches of this world, the things and the intangibles. Thank you, Lord God, for the example of this lowly teenage girl, Mary. Thank you for her example of humility. Thank you for heart, her heart that was poor in spirit. She certainly is blessed, and we recognize the blessing that she carried the Son of God, but we thank you for the blessing that we can have his word in our hearts. Lord, teach us to be poor in spirit. Teach us to walk in the fear of God. Make us people who count everything else as loss, who recognize the rubbish of this world that's earned by merit so that we can have the riches of the kingdom offered by your mercy. 
may we never lose the wonder and the awe of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.